Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 32. Uh, Today we are doing Luke chapter 5 as we make our way through the 24 chapters of Luke. Uh, So I want to thank you for following along with this. And if it's uh, your first time, I welcome you and I hope God speaks to your heart through the reading of his word. Um, I'll interject some points as I just think on them as the Lord brings them to mind. I don't have anything kind of pre-planned or written down. So Uh, We'll just see what the Lord does, and uh, I just welcome the Holy Spirit to guide this conversation, and uh, I thank Him for the opportunity. So in Luke chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and a crowd was pressing in on Him to hear the word of God, He saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them, and were washing their nets. So I'll just add, just kind of briefly here, Jesus noticed two boats. Um, He was aware of what was around him, what resources that God had, you know, providentially placed before him. And as we'll find out later, these boats belong to his disciples. So in verse 2, it says he saw the two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. Now, this is kind of multifaceted uh, effort on Jesus's part. One, the crowds were so greatly growing that uh, it it could have even become a bit unsafe for him because they would press up against him and and so he saw an opportunity here to to kind of get a little bit of distance from the crowds but then also being able to speak over the top of water his voice would have carried very well so it was it was a very practical um, action here on Jesus's part So in verse 4, it says, When he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When I've read this in the past, I've recently been struck by you know, we see this transpire, and if you've read the story before, you know what come you know what comes next. But it's kind of fascinating to me because when Jesus finishes speaking, he's he's obviously been doing some teaching, been speaking to of the things of God, the Word of God. He then finishes that, and then has Simon go out into deeper water and let down his nets for a catch. And, and I and I've wondered the significance of that. Why why would he do something like that immediately after a message? Surely there would be people there, and um, 
And so I, I find it fascinating. I think one aspect of this is that um, he's just confirming to both Simon and any other onlookers that um, he is the sent one of God. He is anointed of God to produce that which cannot be produced by man's efforts. He's also, I believe, testing Simon. Will you be obedient to my word? And we find out in verse 5 that Simon, he's told Jesus that they've worked all night long and caught nothing. That, that's also important to remember is sometimes when we want to be more intensely and intimately connected to what we call ministry, um, we think that, well, we just get to do that as you know a career, and some do. Some God gives that the opportunity. But here we see Simon. He actually fished all night, and he was walking with Jesus during the day. Um, now, of course, this seems to be earlier in the ministry based on what uh, Simon, the revelation he gets from this encounter, and then subsequent revelations that he gets. Uh, so, so most, most um, likely, this was early in the ministry. But nonetheless, Simon fished all night, and now we see him in the day uh, walking alongside Jesus. So no doubt he was operating on minimal sleep, minimal rest. But he says, though, at the tail end of uh, verse 5, Yet if you say so, some translations say, At your word, I will let down the nets. Verse 6, When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. When they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. No doubt Peter had doubts in his mind. He was, remember, a professional fisherman. He had worked the waters. He had, he had grown or built up great skill and art in his trade of fishing. Um, and when he felt that the area had been fished and that there was nothing to catch, no doubt he had the skill and ability to, to, to know that truth. But it testifies to the miraculous intervention of God in man's life, that where there was nothing there by a word of God, through the speaking of Christ, that much can be made that is uh, barren or that, that there is nothing. And so let that be an encouragement to us every day in our lives when, when we look at it and we, and we know in, you know, we know from experience that there is nothing there, but just at his speaking, at his word, if we will be obedient, we can come into much just like Simon does here. And, and when he makes the statement, go away from me or leave me, I am a sinful man, he realizes in that moment his lack, his insufficiency in at least the arena of faith. And, and much of us can relate to Peter in this way. 
For he, it says in verse 9, and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. No doubt this confirmed in, in one regard the ministry of, of Jesus. Um, and so uh, it is important for us to keep our ear unto the Lord and be obedient and faithful because much rides upon uh, those moments of heavenly divine intervention. Um, the people who witnessed this, Simon himself, their lives were transformed and changed in these moments of encounter because the obedience of humanity to the Lord. Verse 10, And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Now, that's that's interesting to me because... James and John, also part of the ministry team, the disciples of Jesus, does this testify to us the importance of who you're connected to? Um, could it be that who you know, if there were another set of partners that Simon had, could they have been part of the disciple team? Um, very possibly. And so I think that it, it testifies to how important it is of who you're connected to. If those who were not connected to Simon or Simon being connected to John and James, it is it is critical that there is something available uh, inside of connectivity, inside of relationship, and who you're connected to might qualify or disqualify you from something that God wants to do. So I think that we would do well to take away that learning from that. Um, and so they were partners with Simon, it says. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. <laughs> do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. Or some translations will say you will be fisher, fisher, fishermen of men. Um, no doubt that... Um, that Peter would be overwhelmed at what would be next. After seeing this miraculous thing that Jesus would do, uh, no doubt he would be possibly intimidated by what was going to take place next. But I think, and I've discussed this, I believe, in other podcasts um, pretty confidently, but I do also think that, you know, Peter finds himself in this place of, leave me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And when Peter has this realization of his, of his nature, of his self, I think that when Jesus responds as, do not be afraid, do not be afraid at what I'm, I'm not coming to you with wrath. I'm not coming to you with anger or bitterness or resentment of, of your insufficiencies. Don't be afraid. I'm actually coming to you with I'm empowering you to walk out your calling. And, uh, and so I think that more echoes um, what I believe Jesus to be saying here in terms of not being afraid. Verse 11, when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. That's such a deeply profound and challenging verse. Much of us, we have much to walk away from. And if, if we find ourselves ever in this place where we hesitate to leave 
if Jesus called us, um, we need to search our hearts to see, is there something that we're clinging to that overrides that beckoning call of the Lord? Uh, no doubt there are people hearing this that will be called to leave behind things, relationships. Um, and But the question remains, is he, Jesus, worth it to you? If he calls, will, will you follow? And I think that's the question that we all must answer, and it's a very important question, and one that these disciples here answered very, um, very well. Uh, they left everything, and they followed him. Verse 12, Once when he was in one of the cities, there was a man covered with leprosy. There, When he saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. Then Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him. I've, I've been around quite a bit of teaching as I've hungered for the Lord and for the word, for, for, for learning, for discovery. And there have been um, those who have taught on how we are to pray, how we are to ask God for things. And they, they have taught that we need not beg God for anything. That's not the posture that we need to take. Now, that's not necessarily wrong, but we do see here that this man with leprosy begged the Lord and asked him, Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. Now, Jesus didn't rebuke how this man's posture was. He didn't rebuke him that he begged him or asked um, very intently um, to make him clean. No, Jesus didn't rebuke him. He, he said, I do wish to make you clean, and he made him clean. And so I think that is important to see. Um, absolutely, there there may be moments in our lives where we are to approach God from a certain posture or from a certain place, but um, this, this man who begged God um, was made whole. And so... Uh, we see no rebuke from the Lord for the way he approached him. Verse 14, And he ordered him, this man with who had leprosy, who is now clean, to tell no one. That's fascinating, isn't it? You'd think that you'd want to send them out to testify of God's grace. But no, Jesus actually said, don't tell anyone. He said, go and show yourself to the priest, and as Moses commanded, make an offering for your cleansing, for a testimony to them. Jesus actually wanted this man to be legitimized. He wanted him to to be seen as pure again so he could be reintegrated back into society. He 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 knew Jesus knew the value of reconnection and intimacy with a people. And so to do it this way was the right way in which the law had been given through Moses to to be reintroduced back into the community. Verse 15, But now more than ever the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would, would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. But he would withdraw to deserted places and pray. 
you know, I think this is such a kind of a reckoning in my, my in my mind and heart on how how would we do this given the situation? You know, Jesus' ministry is is booming. People are coming by the droves. People are getting miraculously healed. Um, the The word of God is preached and proclaimed, and then we find Jesus withdrawing to lonely places, to deserted places, and to spend time with his Father through prayer. This is something that we must get a get a grasp around. For, for God wants to move powerfully in our day through each and every person. But we have to remain connected in intimacy, in, in proximity and nearness to the Father. And that keeps us in this place of being an inlet and an outlet. Verse 17, one day while he was teaching... Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him, Jesus, to heal. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Um, Other uh, translations will render this, uh, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now, it's interesting to me because, well, he is the Lord. Um, So that type of language and the power of the Lord was present to heal him. Other translations may also say, um, and God gave unto him, Jesus, the power to heal. So um, many different ways that it's rendered, but it is fascinating nonetheless that the power of was present for healing to occur. Remember, when Jesus leaves the wilderness, he, he entered it full of the Holy Spirit. And when he exited the wilderness, he was full of the power. So there was an exchange, a transaction that took place. And we see that it, that power of the Lord was present in his ministry here. That's very significant. Um, Verse 18, Just then some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he, Jesus, saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. That is a powerful thing to, to notice. When Jesus saw the faith of his friends, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. That's powerful because the faith of the friends created the space for a transaction to occur, for forgiveness to be given. This man this should this should stir us to ask to start asking questions about repentance. This man did not 
not in in terms of what we can see here in the scripture. We can only assume, start to assume things. But we see nowhere in scripture where this man asked God, Jesus, to forgive him of sins. But Jesus saw the faith of their friends, of his friends, and and Jesus forgave him his sins. That's powerful. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, this is something that they said they were saying in their hearts. And Jesus perceived their questionings. He, he saw the thoughts of their heart. He answered them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up, take your bed, and go to your home. Immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on, and went to his home, glorifying God. If we answer the question, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and go home, which would be easier to accomplish no one knows if your sins are forgiven, but everyone knows if you are able to stand up and walk, if you're a paralytic. And so what does Jesus do? He says, I'm going to prove to you that I have the authority to forgive sins because I'm going to demonstrate a miracle. And he said, stand up, take your bed, and go home. And that's exactly what he did. And this man glorified God as he went on his way. Verse 26 says, Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things today. <laughs> no doubt. Verse 27, After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, Follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed him. Are we starting to see a trend here with these disciples? They're willing to leave it all behind at the word of Jesus. Then, verse 29, Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with him. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Boy, this does sound like the religious crowd, doesn't it? Verse 31, Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We would learn a lesson from the, the words there of Jesus. He has come to call the, not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Verse 33, Then they said to him, John's disciples, like the disciples of the Pharisees, frequently fast and pray, but your disciples eat and drink. Jesus said to them, You cannot make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. He's speaking of himself and his absence from his disciples. And then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece of, uh, from a new garment and sews it onto an old one. Otherwise, the new one will be torn 
and the piece from the new won't match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and will be spilled. And the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wine skins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new wine, but says the old is good. This is much of what we do even in our churches today is, you know, the way we always do things. Let's just keep doing them that way. It is, it is a concerning thing when God wants to do something new in our midst, but we are so attached to the old that we cannot make room for the new. And if we'd realize that the new wine is the way that the wine gets restored, and if we can accept the new wine, then we can increase the supply and then over time, the new becomes old. You know, when we think about wine, I'm no wine connoisseur, but from what I understand, the older the wine, the more vintage the wine, there is something more special about it than brand new. And so we're not degrading the value of the old wine, but eventually over time, the new will age and become vintage. But if we fail to receive the new wine, then we will eventually run out of wine. And this is what I believe happens in many of our churches today. We fail to accept or to to grab a hold of what God wants to do newly. So I think that will end our chapter 5 exploration. Uh, I want to thank you for taking the time. And we will be back tomorrow uh, to carry on in Luke chapter 6. So I appreciate your time. I pray that this word um, reveals truth that God would wish you to see. And uh, until next time, God bless. If it means that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you. And in your house I hold